Yes, Lord, we believe in your name. We believe in your name because there is no other name given among human beings whereby we must be saved. And so, Father, we come today and in a world that is desperately doubtful and seemingly hopeless, we want to confess together today what we believe. Though we are also tempted to despair, we have great confidence not in ourselves, but in our King. We believe we serve the eternal King. So Your Majesty, we come to You today and we place our requests before You, remembering that we are coming to a King. So we bring large requests today, God. We pray that You would bring Your kingdom on earth. We pray that Your will would be done right here where we live, the same way Your will is done in heaven, on our streets, in our homes. May Your will be done. We ask, God, that You would give us daily bread and that we would be thankful for Your provision for us. We ask, God, that You would forgive us and that You would give us victory over temptation. We pray, Father, that You would remind us that Yours is the kingdom and Yours is the power and Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good to worship with you today. Good to come before the Lord. Sometimes our world seems so helpless. And I just want to say, um, even more concerning to me sometimes is the way the church acts as though we're helpless when the world is feeling helpless. There's a funny story about a, a photographer who was commissioned by National Geographic to take pictures of a fire. And they told him that there would be a plane waiting for him at an airport. And so he arrives at the airport, and sure enough, there's a little Cessna there. He jumps in the plane and says to the pilot, let's go. And the pilot turns the plane into the wind. And he takes off, and he looks really stressed and really nervous flying over a fire. You can understand that. And he was a bit erratic. And, and the photographer said to him, so I want you to make a couple of low passes over the north side of the fire. Get really close to the fire, as close as you can get safely. And the, the pilot said to him, Why? And he said, because I'm a photographer. That's what photographers do. We take pictures, and I need you to get really close. And there was a moment of silence, and then the pilot looked at him and said, wait, you're not the flight instructor? Because <laughs> uh, I was waiting for the flight instructor. I didn't know I was getting a photographer. Wrong plane. And sometimes we can feel a bit like that pilot, like, um, hey, I'm flying, but I don't know what I'm doing, and the world is on fire. And how do I make a difference in a world that's on fire? And the good news is that God is our pilot and that He knows exactly what He is doing. He is absolutely in control. So would you open your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're learning about the kingdom of heaven, not the place, but the person. Just this morning on the way to church, I heard a little song on the radio that said, everywhere the king is, there is the kingdom. So everywhere Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of heaven is, and Jesus is here so what does the kingdom of heaven look like as we live as followers of Jesus Christ? Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord in Scripture today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. This is a great picture of the way God sees our world, the way He sees us, and the way He wants us to see the world and make a difference, have an impact in this year. So this is what the Scripture tells us. Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So when Jesus came as undercover boss, have you seen that TV show? Our kids introduced us to that. You know the storyline, right? They come and they think, well, maybe my company's doing really well. And then inevitably they run into people whose lives are absolutely falling apart and they feel like it's on their watch. And so at the end, you know how it goes? It always goes the same. I don't want to ruin it for you. But at the end of the show, the owner of the company reveals, hey, I was walking incognito among you, and I saw your problem, and I heard your need, and now I want to give you tons of money to fix that need in your family and your life. Well, Jesus came to the world as the undercover boss. Just think about this. He fashioned He fashioned Adam and Eve out of clay and he breathed life into them. And then he commissioned Israel to be his missionary nation, to be not only blessed, but to be a blessing to the earth. And they didn't always get that image right. They sort of thought they were blessed just to be blessed sometimes. And so Jesus came down to the earth and he walked among people. And he saw people up close and personal and that that their lives were disintegrating, coming apart. And he loved them. He loved them so much that he was willing to die for them. Jesus not only saw the problem, but he also saw the potential, not just like sheep without a shepherd, like a harvest that was waiting to be brought in. And then he turns to his disciples, these 12 uh, bewildered disciples who really don't have it all figured out yet, and says, so you're part of the solution. Here's what I want you to pray. Pray that God will throw out, that's the word, throw out workers into the harvest. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, right after this passage, he sends them out. And in verse 7, he says, wherever you go, say, the kingdom is is near. And then in verse 10, he talks about workers. He's talking about them. He uses the same word to describe them that he invites them to pray, send out workers, and then he calls them workers. In other words, Jesus wanted his disciples to be the answer to their own prayer, to join him in what he was doing in the world. So in this year, when we think about having an impact on our city, and on our world. It is good to be reminded that Jesus sees the world differently than the world sees itself. Jesus sees, and He has compassion, and He cares. Richard Starnes, who leads an international organization that that helps people who are hurting in the world, uh, said that one point in his life, he, he, he thought, sometimes I would like to ask God, why he allows poverty and suffering and injustice when he could do something about it. And his friend said, why don't you just ask God that? And he said, because I'm afraid that God would ask me the same question. 
Why do we allow that when we could do something about it? You say, well, what in the world can we do in a world that is so incredibly in trouble, a world that's on fire? How are we supposed to help with that? And the answer is the same Jesus Christ who created the world, the same one who died on the cross and, by the way, rose again on the third day, commissioned his disciples not just to be learners, But we see it in verse 10, to be apostles, we serve the sending God who sent his son and then sent his Holy Spirit and now sends us. In one of our services last week, we sang this beautiful Keith Green song that says, thank you, oh my father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit until the work on earth is done. The truth is the work on earth on earth is not done. And the good news is, as citizens of God's kingdom, read Philippians chapter 3 this work, your citizenship, Paul says to believers like us, your citizenship is in heaven. And as kingdom citizens, we see the problem in the world the same way that Jesus did. So Jesus is walking around, that's what verse 35 says, And he's in Galilee, and he's announcing the good news of the kingdom. So the kingdom, God's kingship, far from being bad news, is really good news. In a world run amok, they needed a king. Now, the word that he uses for good news is the word gospel or evangel. Sometimes it gives us the word evangelism or evangelist. And unfortunately, these days, sometimes evangelical, whatever that means, because it's come to be seen as a political term. And I'm not sure evangelical was ever intended to be co-opted as a political term, as in evangelicals vote as a block, whatever that means. No, the kingdom was about Jesus Christ coming and announcing that he had come to change the world. And he sent his disciples out with this good news. And the good news was, as Jesus walked around, he saw people as they really were, So what did he see? He saw people who were harassed and helpless. He saw the pain. I wonder if when we look at our world, we see the pain. I know we see the problems, but sometimes, like Jesus' disciples, we can see people as a nuisance. So they saw all these hungry people gather around Jesus, and they said, Jesus, send them away so they can go get something to eat, because we don't have food trucks here. We don't have any way to feed these people, so just send them away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you feed them. You see the problem. Now do something about it. And and they must have thought, well, what can we do? All we've got is a few fish and loaves. But the truth is those few fish and loaves were exactly what the Father needed. So Jesus multiplies it and feeds the multitude. And I just want to say there is no problem on the face of this earth that is bigger than our God can solve. But you can be assured of this. He intends for us to be involved as a part of the solution. And if we don't ever see the need, then we're never going to feel what the Father feels. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, said years ago, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. So it's not like we can look at Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus really cared about about people who are hurting. But for my part, I, I I just wish they'd all go away. No, no. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, you see what he sees and Jesus sees the, he sees the problem. He sees more than that. It's not just a, a material problem. It's not just a medical problem. It's really a spiritual problem. Why are they harassed and helpless? Because it says they're sheep and they don't have a shepherd. And without a shepherd, sheep are defenseless. They have no protection. They have 
no food. They have no way to take care of themselves. They're not the brightest of animals, to tell you the truth, as we've observed them in our FFA project. Uh, goats either, not the brightest, not the sharpest animals in the shed, if you know what I mean. Um, but the truth is they need a shepherd to take care of them. And in the Old Testament, we'll see Moses talk about the people of Israel as sheep without a shepherd. You'll, you'll see Micaiah, the prophet, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 22, verse 17, say, so when Ahab, when you die, I'm going to see, I see a vision of the people of Israel like sheep scattered without a shepherd. The real need of people in our world is not just for food, not just for clothes, not just for medical attention. As real as those needs are, it's also about showing them who Jesus Christ is. And I notice sometimes in the church these days that there's a bit of a division. So when I was growing up, it was like this. There were a lot of people who said, so the world doesn't need, we don't need as a church to care about people's physical needs. We just need to tell them about Jesus. If we just tell them about Jesus, everything will be okay. So just tell them about Jesus. What's interesting is in my lifetime, that's kind of flipped on its head. And so a lot of people, in fact, your neighbors and my neighbors, they're very much interested these days in how they can help hurting people. But they're much less interested in the idea that Jesus Christ is the ultimate solution for the problems of every human being. Andy Crouch wrote about this recently, just sort of captured. He said, these days, I don't often meet Christians who are so passionate about evangelism that they question the need for doing justice. More often these days, I run into people who are so passionate about justice, they question the need for evangelism. And in fact, this is not an either or solution. So if you say to me, I just like to tell people about Jesus and I don't care about people's need. No, you're missing half of it. And if you say, I just want to help people with their needs, but I don't want to bother people by telling them that Jesus is the answer for their lives. You're missing half of it. So the the gospel is not either telling people about Jesus or social justice. It's both. It's both. And and the truth is, when we begin to care for people's needs, then we get a hearing. Because hungry people can't hear about Jesus because they can't hear anything because they're just so hungry. And so it's, it's participating in sharing. So everywhere Jesus goes announcing the kingdom, what does he do? He feeds, he feeds the people who are hungry. He cares for the poor. He heals those who are sick. And he has the power to do that. He has the authority. And everybody looks at him. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, the word authority, exousia, big word. And every time Jesus teaches, they say, well, he has authority. And where did you get the authority to do that? And, and the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority. And everybody sees his authority. And then Jesus gives his disciples, chapter 10, verse 1, he gives them authority so that they can go out and heal and care for the needs of people. And then in verse 7, he says, tell them the kingdom is near because the king is near. The kingdom is near. This is what we, we have to see. In a hurting world, our God still cares about people who are hurting. And it doesn't do the church any good to sort of act like, well, la, 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 it'll all just go away. No, and and I, I agree. It's not the government's issue. It's not just the government's issue. It's the church's issue. And the good news is, like in 2009, the, the churches in the United States gave more money to world need than the government did, than corporations did, than individual donations did. The church gets this. The Washington Post reported it. They said, The church has done more, and that's good. That's a part of what we're doing. But we can't stop short of introducing them to Jesus. So we see the the pain. We see the problem. They're sheep without a shepherd. We see the potential. They're like a harvest that's ready to be gathered in, but there aren't enough workers to bring it in. And God commissions us not just to be disciples, learners, but to be apostles. That's in chapter 10, to be those who are sent out. God sent His Son. He sent His Holy Spirit 
He sends us. So send I you, he says. So where do you see people hurting? Look around your, your neighborhood and see, see the hurting people. Well, it's hard to see. Look, looks like they're fine, doesn't it? When you look around, man, they, they're doing pretty good. You know, the house is nice, the cars are nice. It looks like they're doing kids. Their kids are growing. Everything's good. I'm convinced of this. If Jesus dropped in right here, right now, and looked around at us, you know what he would see? Harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Your neighborhood, you say, not my neighborhood, Pastor. I mean, maybe another neighborhood. No, your neighborhood. Because he sees what goes on in the hearts of people. And no matter how well things are going for them economically, the truth is, without Christ, they're lost. I wish we could see the need as, as God sees the need. I read an amazing story this week, a tragic story. We read these stories in the news and we just turn quickly. We don't want to see stories like this about a grandfather who hears the news that his grandson in Denver, three-year-old, has been beaten to death by his daughter's live-in boyfriend. And the boy is on life support and he's not going to survive and they're waiting to harvest the organs to help other people and they're waiting to disconnect the life support and he wants to be there with his daughter when that boy dies. And so he's trying to get a plane. But you know how that is when you really need a plane and everything and then there are delays and he thinks he's not going to make it. And he finally gets to his last connecting flight and he knows it's already left. But he walks up to the gate and the pilot is standing in the jetway. And he says, are you Mark? He said, yeah, I'm Mark. He said, man, I am so sorry to hear your story about your grandson. And the thing is, the people on that plane, they can't go anywhere without me. And I'm not going anywhere without you. So get on the plane, have a seat. We're going to get you there safely. And again, I'm so sorry to hear about your grandson. And I read that story this week and I thought, this is what our pilot says to us. He says um, to the world out there, so my people, the church, they can't go anywhere without me. And I'm not going anywhere without the broken people in this world. And so he sends his disciples out precisely because he sees the pain. And he invites us as his followers, not just to see the pain, but to surrender in prayer. Kingdom citizens surrender in prayer. So this is what he says. He says, I want you to pray for the world. Here's this harvest. Here are these people who are ready to be brought into relationship with me. And I want you to pray for the harvest. And it is important to pray for the harvest itself, to pray for people and so we're inviting you to pray for your your neighbors and this pray for every home in our home gatherings tonight I hope you're going to be at one of those home gatherings and if you don't go to a home gathering just have one at your house six to seven reserve that time and begin to pray for your neighbors you can sign up that's why the little uh, leaflet is there in your worship guide and we want you to pray for five of your neighbors by name over the next 20 days that's a hundred people you're going to pray for your neighbors by name. And what happens when we begin to pray for people is we begin to see them differently. So they're no longer just annoying us or they're no longer just people that we're indifferent to, but they're people that we've brought into the very presence of God Himself before the throne of grace. And that changes the way we see our neighbors. The truth is it will also change them. I was reminded this week of a young woman named Putty Sock who graduated from high school 2008, went off to University of Texas, uh, her parents were Cambodians who came to the United States 
And she always saw herself as a Cambodian Buddhist. And she thought only Americans were Christians. So she was kind of annoyed when people wanted her to become a Christian. And she said, when I got to University of Texas, I just thought, I'll be an evangelistic atheist. So I'm going to invite other people not to believe in God. So she did her best, but she kept running into these Christians who wanted to be her friend. And the more she met these people, they said, hey, we're praying for you. And she said, don't pray for me. Do not pray for me. I'm an evangelistic atheist. Don't believe in God and don't pray for me. But everywhere she went, she kept running into them. And eventually, it began to soften her heart because they were kinder, because they were living the way that Jesus lived. And so she went one day to the Baptist Student Ministries there, and they had a little closet there called a prayer room. And she thought, well, maybe I just need to pray. I'll just go in and pray. So she goes in, and there's a little bowl with all these little strips of paper in it, and there are names on those strips of paper. These are people that the Christians at the University of Texas are praying for. So she starts going through the strips of paper and finds her name, Putty Sock. Not just once, but again and again, because a lot of her friends were praying for her and inviting others to pray for her. And that changed her perspective. The very next day, she received Christ as her Savior. She became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now she's a student at Southwestern Seminary because she wants to tell other people about the love of God. And it started with God's people praying for their neighbor. So I read, I'm reading a book called The Vulnerable Pastor by Mandy Smith. And she's a pastor up in Cincinnati. Her husband is a professor at a Bible college up there. And, and she tells about praying for her neighborhood. And she invited her church to take chalk and just to walk down their streets and just write on their neighbor's sidewalks and driveways. I'm not recommending this. Um, I prayed here. And she walked all over the neighborhood around her church and just wrote, I prayed here, I prayed here, I prayed here. And she started getting some negative feedback, and it was kind of discouraging to her. So she walked back to her office, and outside their church, there's a big purple wall. And she just walked over with her chalk and wrote, I prayed here. I prayed at the church, at the purple wall. The next day, she came back to church, and somebody else had written with chalk a prayer. And somebody else, and somebody else. It became a wailing wall in Cincinnati where they prayed. One person just wrote, ah, because that was their prayer that day. Like, I'm in real trouble. Somebody else just wrote, help. Somebody else said, thank you. And there were these prayers. And I was just wondering, what if we did that here at Tallywood? What if you did that at your house? What if you just had a whiteboard where every member of the family could write down their prayers for that week so that everybody who saw it would pray? Wouldn't it make a difference in your family? And wouldn't your family begin to make a difference in your neighborhood if you prayed in that way? And here's the thing. Jesus says, Pray that the Lord of the harvest, here's the word, the word is ekbalo, in, in Greek it means to throw out. That God will throw out workers into, why does he have to throw them out? Because they don't want to go. Because they don't want to tell other people. And so he has to throw them out. There's an old hymn by Lanny Wolf that says, it seems all my children want to sit around my table and no one wants to work in my fields. So sometimes God has to throw us out. Sometimes God has to say, you're going to go whether you want to or not. Like C.S. Lewis, we become reluctant converts who also become evangelists who tell the good news to others and as we pray we surrender in prayer because we're actually becoming the answer to our own prayers so he's going to send them so that they will go so a couple of my students from my homiletics class are are here today and I always say to my students so it's not a great sermon if you don't ask anybody to do anything so if you're keeping score this morning the first thing I'm asking you to do is to pray for your neighbors to sign up Pray for every home. Here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. On April the 16th, we're going to have a Serve the City Day on a Saturday morning, 9 to 12. We want every Sunday school department to get involved in this. Find a project, get involved in it, 
make a difference in our city. Well, what, what difference can it make? Great story I read this week. Another city, a lot of churches banded together to do something like this. They were all wearing yellow shirts. Our T-shirts are, are red for what it's worth, but theirs were yellow. This guy's walking down the street, and they just renovated a home in that neighborhood. That was their project. And he's walking down the street, and he sees a husband and wife working in the yard. She's tending some roses, clipping, you know, pruning back some rose bushes. He's over there with a weed whacker just wreaking havoc. And he just stops as he's walking by and says, hey, those roses are beautiful. That's, that's amazing. And she says, well, thank you. Why are you here? And she sees his shirt. And she goes, oh, you're with the people who are, who are helping our neighborhood. And, and he said, yeah, that, that's why we're here. The husband sees him, turns off the weed whacker, lays it down, comes over and looks him in the eyes and says, I love your heart. Where do I get a heart like yours? And in that moment, he says, so our hearts come from Jesus Christ. And he would be glad to give you a heart like his. What happens when we begin to seek our Heavenly Father's will? We pray for the kingdom. I said last week, we seek the kingdom. And then there comes a day when we begin to embody the kingdom and we proclaim by the very lives that we live, by the way that we love our neighbors, by the way that we care. It's so important that we meet our neighbors. And I've joked in my devotionals that I I write online that the way I'm meeting my neighbors these days is my dog keeps escaping and my neighbors keep finding him and bringing, bringing her back to us. And, and uh, she, just, she just wreaks hat. I'm at my wit's end. I mean, I don't know what to do with this dog. But the good news is I'm meeting a lot of my neighbors. Well, the good news is that you and I know the only one who can help our neighbors. And how selfish would we be if we kept that to ourselves? So pray. Surrender. Share your life with other people. And watch what God does. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be here for such a time as this. In this city, we believe greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And Lord, we just say yes to you. Whatever you want to do in this city, whatever you want to do in our neighborhood, whatever you want to do on our street, in our house, on my knees, God, I pray that you would begin something in me and then Lord it would begin to spread that your contagious love for people would be the hallmark of our church Lord I have no illusion that people are talking about Tallowood these days but if they ever do talk about us Lord let them talk about our love let them talk about the way we love people let them talk about the way we include and incorporate and care for and invite people into personal relationship with Jesus Christ And God, would you give us the chance? I'm praying this for every person in this room and every person who was in this room earlier this morning. Give us the chance this week to meet a neighbor and to show authentic compassion like Jesus to be moved, to be viscerally moved by need. Lord, we can't go anywhere without you. And we believe that you're not going to go anywhere without these lost people until they have a chance to know you. So help us to know you well enough to let them know you. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.